No matter what you're facing today, our podcast can help. Inquisitive, your miracle resource, is dedicated to providing a resource that will be a miracle for you professionally and personally. Maybe you want results but feel that you're fighting an uphill battle. If you're feeling that no one is listening or the problem with your coworkers and family are exhausting, join us for the podcast and on YouTube at Miracle Resources Media. Welcome to Miracle Resources Leadership Series. I am so excited to introduce you to my mentor, Bruce Akers. I met Bruce in a very unlikely way. I was director of development for the March of Dimes. I was working on a lot of marketing and big events. And I had the opportunity to meet Bruce Akers because I was asking him for sponsorship, asking for money. And this unlikely mentorship friendship formed because I just knew when I met Bruce that there was something different. And I'm going to tell you about that. And in my upcoming interview with him, you're going to see what I mean. He really is a visionary and he is an exceptional listener. I love this picture of Bruce. This is quintessential Bruce. He is at a meeting, just listening, absorbing, totally committed, totally focused. I've never met anybody like this in my life. It's like you're in the presence of greatness because when you're with him, he's so laser focused on what your needs are, what you're doing, what you're working on. And then because he has listened and been a part and invested, he really provides incredible vision strategy, which I'll talk about in just a little bit. And as a leader, he really has made a difference in our community and in the lives of everyone he touched. You know, I met Bruce at a very difficult time in his life. He had just lost his wife. Um, I was going through a horrific, really difficult time, and we really bonded, and we would talk about faith. And Bruce always pointed me in the direction of understanding how to apply your faith to your daily life. Um, He invited me to Billy Graham, and I talk about that in the interview. You'll hear a little bit more. He really changed my life, and the way I changed the way I lived is because of Bruce Akers. He does what I love to do. He gets the right people in the room. He listens and builds a team. Here he's pictured with my friend Seth and my other mentor, Bill Dunahan. This is what Bruce does when he attends an event. He's just completely listening, completely focused, and he pulls the right people in with the talent they have and lets them do their job. That is what Bruce does, and he's excellent there. When I started my business, Miracle Resources, in 2003, I knew we would be doing marketing and public relations, but I also wanted to do training. I saw that there were problems inside of a company and team members needed training to really build the culture. And I was stressed with how do I do both? And Bruce was the only person who said to me, do it. You can do both. And here's the path. He helped me create the strategy. He's an encourager, yet he's a challenger. And I am so blessed to have him in my life. Everyone who's met him would say the same. He really invests in you and provides strategy and vision. As mayor of Pepper Pike for over 20 years, while still working full time, Bruce, as the mayor, was always able to listen to the citizens. He had an open dialogue with them in addition to supporting his team and finding the right people to provide services. At that same time, he was an executive at Key Bank working full time. 
I love this picture of Bruce. This is Bruce in an event. He's always looking, observing, listening, and making a difference, seeing how things could be better by encouraging and challenging. A key who is able to invest in many projects that have made a difference in the community and saved lives. Um, I want you to know that he never stops. But I have written here, never stops believing in me. It's everything that Bruce works on. If he's involved, he's totally committed and laser focused. I am so blessed to be his mentee. But as anyone who knows him would tell you, he does not give up. And he knows that it takes patience and it takes, again, full commitment, which you'll hear about in my interview with Bruce upcoming in a couple of minutes. For 54 years, he has served the Salvation Army, and you'll hear about that in today's interview. 54 years. Do any of you know anybody who's been on a board 54 years? Bruce is amazing, and he will tell you about the Army and their true commitment, which is servant leadership. He is all about making a change and making a difference. He's worked on so many of the projects in Northeast Ohio that have made a difference in people's lives and made our community better. And I did think when he retired, I thought, oh, I'm never going to see him. He's going to be playing golf in Florida. Instead, I call it the season of awards and boards. He just joined more boards and won a lot of awards, which is incredible. So he really has used his retirement to make a difference. And that's an inspiration for all of us because he just never gives up. He's always working. He truly is a servant leader and a difference maker. So let me introduce you to Bruce Akers in our Leadership Series interview of Miracle Resources Media. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Miracle Resources Media Leadership Series. I'm honored to introduce you to Bruce Akers. I've told you a little bit about Bruce in the preset of this interview, but I'd like to turn it over to Bruce to talk a little bit more about leadership and how he became a leader and what it means to be a leader to Bruce Akers. Beth, I look, on, I look upon leadership maybe more simply or down to earth as many people do. To me, every one of us as individuals, as companies, as organizations, as businesses, whatever it may be, face daily a number of challenges, uh, issues, problems, situations, call it what you want. And we as individuals or as groups face two choices. Do nothing about it and let it move on or stop and address those issues or those problems or those challenges um, and, and thereby remove them and improve the situation, get things moving ahead. Um, and it's easy to just, you know, pass it on, let somebody else take care of it. It's, it's somebody else's problem. Um, I see it as, you know, if it's, if it's affecting us, do something about it. Correct the situation. Change the problem. Change the direction we're going. Um, address the problem. And, and, and it can be little things. It's not, you know, international situations or national situations. It can be very personal, very local, uh, very low-key, uh, but they are nonetheless issues. They are nonetheless challenges. They are nonetheless uh, problems. We'll say in the word. And 
they've got to be addressed. So it's up to individuals to step forth um, and, and by themselves or banning old groups or whatnot uh, to solve the problem. And uh, that's leadership, in my opinion. And it's not to find that way, but that's how I look at it. And that's excellent. Bruce, I want to thank you because being your mentee, I've seen you get involved and take leadership and build teams and build people and solve problems. For example, Salvation Army, 54 years on the board. And I just want you to talk about that leadership experience because I don't know anybody else who's been on a board for 54 years and you have never shied away from a problem. You've always taken it head on and been a part of that Salvation Army team. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, a long time ago, I was, you say 54 years ago, um, a friend of mine, Frank Coy, at that time, headed up the May Company. He was on the board. He and I got talking one day. And as he mentioned, talked about the Army, I'd heard about the Army. He knew about the Red Kettles, you know, and all that. But I didn't know that much about it. And by the time Frank finished telling me about the Army, I said, wow, that is an amazing organization. And he got me on the board. And it's been 54 years, Kathy, of the, of the most fascinating experiences. Um, here's a, a, a like, like any Army, they have officers. But and like the regular military, those officers are paid by rank. There's no year-end bonus or incentive pay or anything like that. They are so committed uh, in what they're doing, and you start working with these officers, and that that feeling of commitment comes on you. You want to do more. To heck with the finance side, we we'll do it. And so here's a here's now a worldwide program that deals with. You know, women's shelter, men's shelter, women's problems, uh, uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, the sheltering, feeding, feeding problems, incredible. But it's a whole mass of things, taking people who are less fortunate, those who are really down and out, and giving them something, some hope, and providing some, some basic necessities, and saving lives. Uh, it, it is an absolutely incredible organization, and you just feel you feel better. You know you're helping others, and 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 and, and I guess I guess you say it gives you a good feeling. But you also know that the the, the less fortunate, the ones that are really down and out, the ones that are really in poverty, are being provided for uh, by this organization. And so it was just a matter of it's so encouraging. Uh, and you see, and you see the results, uh, and, and you want to get in there. And it's been 54 years of amazing. I just, I can't believe how fast it's gone, and how much I have thoroughly uh, enjoyed. I say enjoy, but felt felt uh, great satisfaction in joining with others to get to go. That's longer than you want to hear, but that's my answer. I love what you said, and we needed to hear it. You talk so much about commitment, and again, being your mentee. I've seen you just pour yourself into projects and really pull the right people in, build the team. And for 54 years, I mean, Salvation Army, it's amazing. And I like what you said about satisfaction because we have to feel that satisfaction and it keeps us going. That's kept you going for 54 years. But for everybody listening to this podcast and watching the video, the key for us is when leadership is tough, you know, there's some tough times, things that are not easy, things that are not fun. 
Talk about those. What inspiration, what advice would you give to the people who say, you know, I'm the leader and wow, this is a lot. You know, be honest with them about what they need to do to keep themselves motivated, keep themselves strong during those tough times. The first thought that goes to mind is don't give up. Never give up. Um, you know there's an issue there, as I said earlier, you know there's a problem there. Giving up will not solve the problem. Uh, you, you've got to pursue it. And not everything is easy. I and mean, some things take time and, take, and, and getting more people involved. And that's what a leader does. He or she organizes and gets people to help him or her in this cause. Uh, but no problem is solved by giving up. Uh, no problem can be can be remedied if people don't keep at it, who believe in, in the cause, and that's got to be things got to be made better. Uh, it, it's just it, it, it's maybe a little self motivation, whatever it may be, but it's also the motivation of seeing around you uh, what help you and your colleagues that you put together uh, come together. Uh, how, what they can do, how they can how, how together they can solve the problem. They can make things better. They can remedy the issue, uh, and and, and that, that's what motivates. At least what motivates me. If I if I feel we need to do something, do it. And I can't do it by myself. I got to bring people together. It's it's a team effort. Uh, no, and individuals can do it as individuals, but more gets done with it by a team. Uh, and 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 the board gets accomplished by a team, but uh, it's uh, I you you your your word of motivation. Uh, I I I don't know how you how best to define it. It's just something in in you that says it's got to be done. It's got to be accomplished. It's got to be remedied. Uh, and 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 we've got to keep moving forward. And it's not necessarily going to be done solved in the first go at it, or the first week, or the first effort. Uh, some of these issues go on and on, but you can't give up. You can't get. You, you got to keep moving. Uh, and you eventually, sooner or later, you'll see the the effects and the impact of your of your commitment, of your motivation, of your desire change things. Uh, and and you just got to keep plowing ahead, uh, and 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 it sometimes not sometimes often leadership is not easy. Leadership is not comfortable. Uh, leadership is not uh, a lot of fun. Uh, it's it's a matter of commitment, knowing what you got to do, and do it and keep doing it. May, it, may, it may take it over and over and again, but you can't quit. Bruce, I love how you said that. You know, when we're talking about Salvation Army, you use the word commitment, and that's huge. And then when you're talking about leadership, and I asked you about the tough times, some key takeaways of what you said. You talked about patience. You talked about that we have to be patient and get the right people involved. And for everybody who's listening and watching, you know, the other part, Bruce is an excellent communicator. You know, whether it was writing speeches for Ralph Perk, the mayor of Cleveland back in the day, or as an executive and leader at Key Bank, you're an excellent communicator. You are the person who has always believed in me, encouraged me, and challenged me. And you always bring out the best in teams. And I think that people who are watching, you know, Bruce is 90 years old at this taping. So you're keeping forward, my friend. You keep moving. You keep doing things. 
And I just want to share with you, Bruce, I was talking about you earlier in this um, this production about when I was very worried when you retired that we'd never see each other. Because, you know, we were both downtown, we were both working and we could have lunch and, you know, I could talk to you and just always wise counsel. Um, and I thought when you retired, I'd never see you. You were at more meetings when you retired. I would see you as I was driving into Cleveland. You were already at your 7.30 a.m. breakfast. So it's amazing what you've done. Um, but I do want to focus on a point in your life that was difficult. There was something that you had wanted, and I'll let you tell the story. You had wanted something when you joined the Air Force, and there was a reason that you couldn't have it, and you were very honest, and most people are not that honest, and you were honest. And that turned out to be a real turning point in your career. And then later you use those things to be a mayor. And what I'm referring to is when you first got in the Air Force. Would you be willing to share that story? Well, well it, it, I'll, I'll chuckle with this, but I uh, I was back when we still had the draft and uh, I went through the ROTC permitted college and upon graduation was commissioned in, uh, into, into the United States Air Force. I wanted to fly, I love flying, and so I was enjoying it. Well, in ROTC, between your junior and senior year in college, you take a one-month uh, tour at, at an Air Force base, and then you come back to your senior year, and at the end of senior year, you get commissioned, and then eventually you're called to active duty. In the um, summer camp, which I did in, in Atlanta, uh, I, no, I'm sorry, Savannah, Georgia, on the 100 Air Force base, um, you, you go through, you go, and then there's towards the end, everyone goes through a day-long uh, physical. And you're sitting there, and then they're going to sit here. And at the end of the day, you see the uh, uh, the psycho, the psych, uh, the doctor, the, you know, the, and he uh, he's just the nicest guy in the world. and makes you feel comfortable and checks your life and all that. At the very end, he says, um, have you ever fainted? I said, oh, yeah. And boy, his, his whole manner changed. And he starts grilling me. And I said, oh, doc. And I was 13 or 14 years old, playing same neighborhood football. Um, got crushed on, broke a finger. X weeks later, I'm going to get the, get the finger taped off. Next thing I know, I keel over. I wake up, and here's the doctor and my mother leaning over me laughing. That, that was pretty funny. I didn't think it was funny at the time, but anyway. So uh, I go back to the, uh, to my, well, no, at the end of four weeks, I've had this paper that I had been discharged, thrown out of the program because I have a history thing, one thing, a history of thing. Mm. Uh, this ridiculous. So I went back to the college and they said, don't worry, we'll get a waiver. That's ridiculous. So, I, so sure enough, I got the waiver, finished the program, got permission right to the time of graduation. And I got an early call, less than a month later, I was called to active duty. And all uh, at that point, and I know it's still true today, all uh, Air Force officers, before they go get assigned to uh, flight training and all that or whatever else, they go through Lackland Air Force Base down in San Antonio for one month. And then there again, you have preliminary stuff, and sure enough, right there, there's another all-day physical. And sure enough, end of the day, the the uh, you know white psycho doctor comes in and, and nice as it can be, and he uh, asks the same question eventually. I said, no, no, never finished, never, never finished. I wouldn't go through that again. At the end of my four weeks, before went off to the first flight school, I get called in, and they dangled my summer camp physicals on me. And, and and I've been thrown out of the program. And, and uh, it, just, it just made me stick to that. But 
But I got assigned, uh, and, and eventually, as you know, military, here's the body, here's the vision, they put the two together. I got assigned to the Air Police. Nothing in my background, nothing had anything to do with police work or a law enforcement. But anyways, I went to that. Well, that was turned out to be a fascinating experience. Um, uh, and assigned to charge of a group of men. Um, eventually, I became the baseball, baseball, air-based um, security officer. This was a strategic air command base uh, with all 50-52s. And those ba- those planes are ones that were uh, already loaded with the bomb and ready to go on one with snows. If the Russians started to attack us, these planes would go out. They knew where to go and drop their bomb. It, it was it was a fascinating experience. And uh, uh, and part of it, though, it was uh, I flew a desk as the adjutant there, but I was a bachelor. I wanted some troop training, so we had a major who. Uh, Nice guy, but a little bit lazy. And uh, I asked for some, I said, I like some true experience. Well, at a strategic air command base, where you have all atomic weapons, you also have a security at nighttime, a flight line. And the way you do that is through, uh, through sentry dog, German Shepherd sentry dog. And the sergeant running that got into a gambling problem. So the major sent me down to take charge of that. And uh, I walked in there, and they could see these airmen, tough airmen, you know, and these big German shepherds, you know, and, all. and they saw this sort of green lieutenant walk in. And you could just see they were saying, oh, work this guy. And uh, so uh, but I got to make my present home, got to know him. And, um, but one of the first things came to me, one of the airmen said to me, uh, lieutenant, you know that everybody who comes down here to in charge of this, a nine Corps, they have to uh, work with the uh, attack suit. I'm sorry, what's the attack suit? Well, they got the attack suit out. It was a thickly padded suit from neck all the way down. And this is a suit that the dogs, in part of their training, would be told, go to an attack. And, they, and, and, and so I thought, well, I can't be showing on any, uh, and I got to show leadership here. And, and so I, and I put I put the suit on one time, and I, I and I it's heavy and the, the collar here, and then doubly padded arms, and so the first day of training, there were three three squadrons of eleven German shepherds each. The first group came out. Well, those dogs saw that training suit, and all they could see were fangs and stretch stretching. They a lot of collar to get at me. So they put the uh, the squadron of dogs maybe 50 feet away, 50 yards away. And then one by one, the handler would unleash, take the uh, muggle the leash, and Duke or George or, you know, whatever it was, there's chart. And I saw that first shepherd coming in, and I said, Akers, what the hell did you do this for, you know? And, and that dog hit that thing. Unfortunately, doubly, doubly uh, packed arm. I mean, and I'm supposed to take the other arm as part of the train. This is part of the training guy. And beat, beat him with the other arm, make him more angry. Um, meantime, you know, the, the, the airman's running up to him. That way, Duke, can you get him, Duke? You don't get him, you know? And finally, they literally, they, that dog, those shepherds had a pressure of five to seven pounds pressure 
in that in that jaw on that bite. And they airmen had to choke their their dog on. They could they ordered okay, oh yeah, whatever it was to stop. They wouldn't stop until that his handler got him off. Well, I went through this thirty-three times. Now, oh my uh, goodness, that, that was uh, showing leadership. That in, in, by the sense that I didn't back out or say, "Oh no, no, no," you know. So it was it was that's more than you want to hear. But I just I just it, it, I never got over the fact. Um, boy, I walked in there and those those airmen thought this green lieutenant we're going to have fun with him, and I could not show fear or doubt or or push it off, push it off. Oh no, no, and. Uh, so it was a real experience for me, I believe. And I have a very healthy appreciation of Jeremy Shepard, so I'm saying that. <laughs> Bruce, you you went through so much and you earned their respect, right, of those airmen. And uh, telling that story and knowing you, you know, again, I've always seen you as Mayor Pepper Pike and, you know, executive at, at um, Key. And I just am seeing you getting attacked by the German Shepherds, you poor thing. And all you really wanted to do was fly. And I have to tell the audience, you know, Bruce is now a roller coaster enthusiast. I heard that from David and your grandkids. They're always, they always want to take grandpa on the, the roller coaster. And you were doing it, I think, one of your 85th birthday or something you were doing. Yep. Yep. So, although we did not get to fly, we're doing the roller coasters, and you learned how to oversee security forces. And then, as Mayor Pepper Pike, of course, overseeing police and fire and all those services. But, Bruce, it is true that you didn't give up. Your leadership took you in a very different path than you had thought. And you were in ROTC. You probably never thought you were going to be attacked by German Shepherds or head security. You thought you were going to be flying. And I think that's a big piece for everybody who's listening is sometimes our journey takes us in a different direction. And I want to spend a minute on this with Bruce. Um, Bruce, for me meeting you, you know, I was kind of growing in my faith. And I remember you were on the committee for the Billy Graham 1994 Cleveland Stadium. And do you know I had met you just before that? And you you're a great man of faith. And you're the way you lived your life, I thought, I want that. And you had said that you were on the organizing committee. And you know, Craig and I went and we took my stepson Jonathan and our daughter Kayla. And it was life-changing for me. I don't know how to thank you for that, Bruce. But do you remember working on that? That was a big. Oh, well, it was a great experience uh, to hear Dr. Graham speak and, and see that crowd, the old Cleveland Stadium experience. And I, I don't know if I shared this with you guys, but uh, being on the committee, and I was sort of the, I, I was the assistant treasurer. We collected the funds at the same every night, and I went with a police escort over to the banks. And night depository deposited the money. The treasurer delegated that to me. So we'll also have to be my boss at the bank. So anyway, yeah. we, we, we did that. And I, um, but the week uh, that he was here, um, the chairman of the committee called me one day and said, um, and you have lunch plans for next Monday? And I said, no. He said, well, keep it doctor, keep it free. Um, I may be calling you. Well, he called the day before and said, be up in certain conference room on the 28th floor at, at noon tomorrow. Okay. I went up there, and the walking room, there was Dr. Billy Graham. And, I mean, I kid you not, uh, no matter what your faith to be, 
you walked in that room and you felt you were in the room of, of greatness. And it was it was incredible. And then, of course, during lunch, he spoke, and as he spoke, uh, not a speech, he answered questions, it was discussion. It wasn't a speech by him. He was so engaging. He, he was so interested in each individual in that room. Um, and uh, he, he, it was not the focus, and he made sure the focus wasn't on him. And I'll never forget this. Um, at that point, my wife was uh, terminally ill with a brain tumor. And I had a Bible that she had given me, covers for. And I went to her afterwards, and I said, Dr. Graham, would you be so kind as to sign this? Uh, this is a Bible my wife gave me, that she's terminally ill. He signed it. He gave me such words of encouragement for my wife. It was a very moving experience. But I tell you that story because you really felt you were in the presence of greatness without him telling you that, without him showing that. It just You just felt it. Uh, and and it didn't, he didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to put on the errors. He just was generally himself. And that's what leaders have to be. And, and he just he, he exemplified it in spades for me that day. So. I never knew that story. You know, we've talked about Dr. Graham before together, and I did not know that story. And I think you were in the presence of greatness, and I agree. Yeah. And for me as your mentee, I would say that all of my mentors, like you, you all have, there's some kind of way that you can see my potential that I can't see. And I think Dr. Graham also saw in people and kind of what I call shine. There's there's just a shine. There's just a presence. There's just a calmness. There's There's like a safety there. And I mean... I want you to know that when we would have our talks and we would strategize, you know, that's what you reflected to me was listening like no one else was in the room. That's what Bruce Akers does. And another funny Bruce Akers story, because this one I didn't talk about in the precast of this production. Bruce was asked to speak at the City Club of Cleveland. Remember this, Bruce? And Bruce called me and said, I don't think anybody's going to come. Can you come? I said, of course I'm going to come. I'm your mentee. I'm going to be there in the front row. And Bruce had more people at his city club speech than some of the elected officials and leaders from other countries that speak at the city club. It was packed. People were getting out of the elevator and you couldn't move. It was amazing. But, you know, I think that sometimes we don't see in ourselves, and I want you to know this, Bruce, you have that shine. You have that um, greatness. You have that when someone meets you, that you're just lasered in and talking with them. And it is true, you know, that when it comes to leadership, it's not about you. And very much like what you said about Dr. Graham, you know, Dr. Graham did not have to put on ears. He was laser focused. And and I'm glad that you got that moment with him and that you brought that Bible. I mean, it means so much. And you were at a time when restoring your faith meant so much. And you were working on that event right at that same time. I didn't put that together. I didn't know those two things happened at the same time. Um, I also remember, Bruce, when you were getting married to Barbara and you were to aching tums, just like I was, because we were all high stressed in our careers. And, you know, you were getting married the second time. And, you know, going through that, you you as a leader, your personal and your professional, we should talk about that. Your personal and professional impact each other through your leadership. Everyone's, everyone's. 
And you went through those tough times and those major changes. And you were, weren't you the mayor of Pepper Pike when you were married the second time? You were, because you were mayor of 16 years? 20 years. Oh, it was 20 years. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so how do you handle the balance between personal and professional? You know, you're an executive at Key. You're the mayor of Pepper Pike. You're on the board at Salvation Army. All the major projects happening in the city. Everyone wants Bruce Akers on their committee. And your personal life, that's going on, too. How would you suggest to leaders to balance that? Or is there balance? Well, that's a very good question. I, I think it, there's a, it can be a balance depending how each individual wants to handle it. I think that uh, I, when I got involved in the local politics, of course, I went to my employer and said about well, this, and they, they encouraged me as long as I didn't let it interfere with my job at the bank, and I didn't. I worked primarily uh, in the evenings and on weekends. Occasionally, there were meetings during the day, and okay, that I just I didn't abuse that. But I, I steered away from much of that interference with my regular job. Uh, but also, uh, and I hear again, I think it comes out of your, your thought about leadership. I made a point of, uh, of making sure I, I, I was blessed with fabulous department heads. They, they were, they, they are still today, uh, the, the people who get the job done. And, and, for example, take the service director. The service director takes care of snow plowing in the winter and rubbish all year round. The security director, the, the service director, and, and as long as I realize this, has forgotten more about snow pickup and, and rubbish pickup and snow plowing than I'd ever know. And as long as I remember that and not, not micromanaging them, everything was fine. Uh, my, my, my philosophy to them was, hey, there's a problem. I'm as close as your phone. Um, and we had a meeting, we'll set up a meeting, but let them do their job. And, 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 and the console worked well with the console. Uh, we didn't always agree, of course, but that's part of politics. And, uh, but we realized, hey, let's, we had at that time 6,000 plus, uh, residents, customers, uh, that we had to take care of. That's our job. That's what we elected to do. Uh, and, as long as I, as I, I, I let, let my department heads do their job, things were fine. We had no problems. Uh, oh, sure. One or now and then, one may not have done the job the way they should have. Okay. Then you, you, you sit down with that individual and you address the issue. That's the problem. Get it corrected. Uh, only once in my 20 years did I have to, uh, um, after work on it, that I finally have to say to the department head, it's time for him to find another job. But uh, it just wasn't it wasn't clicking. But uh, I think with again working together, having goals together, uh, sharing responsibility, uh, knowing what one's responsibility is, and not and not interfering or over overseeing it too too closely. Uh, right. I, I think uh, it works out. Uh, and I it, I started to say fun. I, it's not the right word. I got satisfaction. Out of uh, making sure that things ran well and that we were providing the services. You talked a minute ago about the matter of communication. I also very felt very strongly about good communications. If you left, if you left up to the residents, what's going on in the city, to the newspaper, you're not going to get you're not going to get the full picture. 
So I would put out periodic uh, newsletters or memos to all residents on any given issue that was being highlighted at that time and giving people facts. And and at the end of every letter, my secretary knew there was a standard thing. I left, I, I, my final paragraph was, if there have any issues, any questions, need any more information, feel free to call me. And I gave them my home number, my cell phone number, and at that time, my, my office number, bank bank office number. Uh, so people can't say, well, you can't get, they can't get anything done in City Hall. Well, I, I want to prove to you, you could get things done in City Hall. Whether it was a problem for that individual, that resident, or that street, or that neighborhood, or the whole community. Uh, and as long as I maintain that approach around saying, you know, I've seen some mayors who just sort of sit back and that's it. Now, you know, what do they say is law, and that's it. You can't run a city that way. Not in a, not in a democracy we have. And 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 so the satisfaction was getting things done, solving problems, uh, addressing issues that were bothering that individual or that neighborhood or whatever. Sorry, long-winded answer, but it, it, it's, it, it's, it was so important to, to realize the importance of good communications. Oh, Bruce, you said it best, and it was a long answer. It was really just for everybody listening. You know, you've talked about being committed. You've talked about finding the right people and letting them do their job, communicating, being available, making it not about you. These are all good tips for leadership understanding, listening and observing and watching. Um, also bringing out the best in people by really encouraging them and challenging them. You know, as your mentee, there were many times I came to you and said, you know, I'm kind of thinking about this, but what are your thoughts? And you would challenge me, you know, you encouraged me to, you know, go get more training, learn more, um, become better. You know, even as I opened my own business, you know, what I wanted to do, your advice was invaluable. And again, why Watching you as a man of faith grew my faith. I definitely grew because of you. So I just want you to know you mean the world to everybody who's listening to this. And I know there's going to be some people who've worked with you. There's going to be people who have served on boards with you, friends, family, everybody, everybody who loves you. Your other mentees will be listening as well. And, you know, I just want to say to you, I think that you really summarized it well today with everything the leader is. You know, you can walk away from something and say, oh, it's not my problem, or you can be involved and make a difference. And that's always what you taught me. Make a difference, get in there, be patient, the results will come, but they may not come on my terms and they may not come in the way that I want them to happen, but you don't give up and that's huge. So Bruce, any other parting thoughts that you just wanted to share? Well, two things. Um... You, you, you reminded me of something. Yeah, you know, hopefully it's years down the road, but when my time comes and they start looking at reflecting back at me, I hope the one thing that will be said that I made a difference. I hope that people say I made a difference. Um, that's very important to me. Um, the other thing I say is it, it, it has been just a Thorough pleasure and joy working with you all these years. I don't say that to compliment you. I say that because you have such a strong faith. You have such a commitment to keep up for yourself. And I've done that. Uh, we 
a better community because of you and what you have done. And I just, it's, uh, it's just great to watch how you have grown and your workers, your companies working with it and we're working and, um, Oh, an excellent example. Somebody with right focus, the right determination, the right faith can make a difference. And, and knowing so, helping so many others through your work. Oh, you have so thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I need to thank you because you built me. And I don't think there's a better compliment there. You have invested and built so many of us. And, you know, of course, I look at your children and your grandchildren, and your family, and they're amazing, and I love them. And, you know, I think you've surrounded yourself with the right people, and you've taken the time to help people who, in our beginning, if you remember, is me asking you for money for the merchandise. <laughs> and so here's a person who had great Persuasive. But you made me better and you made me really be better about understanding the bigger picture, not just making that goal, but the bigger picture of making a difference, not only through the nonprofit, but then through my company. You built me. And there are so many people that feel that way about you and you've made a difference. You're just incredible, an incredible man of faith. And I don't want to get cry, but I just, I love you. You know that. Thank you for joining us for Inquisitive, your miracle resource. Our team would love to grow your brand, team, and revenue. Please reach out to Miracle Resources website to learn more about our national training programs. Brand plus team equals revenue has 30 different programs that can be delivered as a workshop, lunch and learn, keynote speech, or convention education session. For more details, contact Catherine Miracle at km at miracleresources.com.